Last Sunday we didn't have church because of the snow, and so I had my sermon, you know, all ready to go, and then I got this Sunday, you know, and I plan to preach something different this Sunday, so we have to preach two sermons in one day to keep up with my preaching calendar, and so... uh, (laughs) Luckily, we've all, we've all eaten and had extra days to rest, so we can, we can handle a little longer sermon, probably. So Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. I'm going to take off my coat, because I'm going to take it off anyway, probably. And I'm not sure if I'm taking off my coat because I'm getting too fat for it, or because I'm getting too hot for it. Of course, we all know it's because I'm too hot. <laughs> temperature-wise, not, not, not aesthetically, temperature-wise. You people. You know, the old saying was, like, like, like priests, like people. And so <laughs> that's how it goes. Romans chapter 12. Let's take a reading now from verses 1 and 2. Romans 1 and 2. If you have a Bible like mine, it might be titled, A Living Sacrifice. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you. The authorized version says, I beseech you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The authorized version here says reasonable service. Now we have worship here instead of service because the Greek word used is referring to in the Old Testament to the service of the Levitical priesthood as they served God in the priesthood, in the tabernacle, in the worship of God. And so here we have it in the modern translations as worship. Living your whole life in dedication to God, presenting your whole self to Him, both body and soul, is an ongoing, continual act of worship. It is possible to worship God every moment of your life. And that should be our ambition, our aim, our objective as Christians is to be not just Sunday worshipers, but to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday worshipers, not just worshipers for a few moments in the morning or a few moments in the evening, but that our whole life would be one active worship to God. Now the question is, how in the world can you do that? Because a lot of the stuff I do when I ain't at church doesn't really seem too churchy. You know what I'm saying? So how can we pull that off? Well, if everything we do with our life is in obedience to God, then everything that we do glorifies and honors God. If it's done in agreement with His Word, with His Word. And so think about all the things that you do in your life, all the pleasures that you undertake, because we all are pleasure-oriented, aren't we? We love love to be pleased. We love it when you go to a restaurant and you have exceptional service. Don't you like it? When I go to, I went to a a restaurant one time in Lawton, and I put a $10 bill under my coffee cup, and I told the waitress, I said, if this cup never sees empty, that's yours. You ever been tempted to do that? Put a C note under a, under a cup? No. 
note, a.k.a. a long wheelbase 10. <laughs> I had to think about that one. We love to be pleased. And when we are displeased, how do you feel? I kind of ticked off, kind of upset. You know, I've been ticked off for months since McDonald's has been closed. I've been ticked off for months. Only place in town to swing through and get something in the morning is Burger King. And then those people at Burger King, they change that. Sometimes the door, the sound of the door says, dining room, open. And then sometimes it says, dining room, close. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. It must be based on staffing. But we don't like to be displeased. We like to please ourselves. And wouldn't it be, it'd be great if we all were as concerned about pleasing God as we were about pleasing ourselves. Now, sometimes we get this idea in our mind that, 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 that those things can't go together, that we can't please God and please ourselves. We, we think that's true. As a kid growing up, kind of, the, kind of the, the tone of Christianity that I was exposed to, it looked like all the fun stuff was off limits. It's kind of irked me. But, I, but I've come to know that if my life is lived in obedience to God, there are lots of pleasures. And that I can live a life full of pleasure and joy and honor God at the same time, as long as I pursue those things in honor of God. Right? So this is how we do this. The apostle says, Because you've received the mercies of God, present your whole self to him as a living sacrifice, both body and soul. Robert Haldane here says that Christians should have a holy soul and a holy body. Now, we are often tempted to not use our bodies in holy fashions. So the Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to you Christians, to give your whole self to God in one continual act of worship. One continual act of worship. Verse 2. And this requires us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by or through the renewal of our minds. Now here is... Here is the problem. We as Christians, our ambition in life is in verse 1. This is our objective, to to live a life that's completely worshipful to God. That's to give our whole self to Him. In verse number 2, in order to do that, we we have to face the problem. Don't be conformed to this world. You could read that this way. Do not be assimilated into the world in which you live. Assimilation. Do you guys remember that classic television series, Star Trek? The dictionary, thank you. Dave already knows where I'm I'm going. Because Dave wrote this sermon. (laughs) They used to have these this this group, and they're called the the Borg. And they would want to assimilate everybody into that continuum, you know. Assimilation. Do not be assimilated into the world. Do not be conformed to the world in which you live. Because if you're going to live a life that's 
devoted to the worship of God, if you want your life to be totally pleasing to God, if you want everything you do to be done for the honor and glory of God, you're going to have to not do it the way the world does it. Because the world, the Greek word here could be translated the age. The world and the age we live in is not concerned about God at all. Not at all. But you and I who are Christians, we ought to be concerned about God. This is why he uses this familiar term in verse 1. Brothers. If you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter. But if you say that you are a Christian, well, then this matters. Now, I think if I asked you the question, is your ambition to live a life that is a life of worship? If your ambition is to live a life to please God, if I ask you that question, you probably, everybody would probably say yes. But the real answer is both yes and no. Because... We are imperfect in all of our affections and desires. And I've said this before as, illust- as illustrative, and I'll use say it again. I love Valerie with every fiber of my being. I love her deeply and desperately. But there are some times when I'm so mad at her, I wouldn't buy her a loaf of bread. And I would venture to say that probably husbands and wives, the honest ones... <laughs> might say, I heard a preacher one time, he said, me and my wife, we've been married 45 years, we've never had a single fight, never a single disagreement. You know, afterwards, I was talking to another guy, I said, what do you think about what he said? He said, that man is a liar. (laughs) (laughs) So, our affections are imperfect. We're imperfect in all of our affections and desires. We know that with the people that we live. Now, there's, have you ever had this experience where one day you are ultra dedicated to your job and you're going above and beyond? Then you have a day where at your job you're just barely, barely there. Or not there at all. <laughs> now, what causes these kind of fluctuations? Why is it that I can leave church on a Sunday morning and feel like charging hell with a squirt gun and really doing something for God. And then by the time Monday morning rolls around, I don't even want to read my Bible. Why do I fluctuate so much? Here are three reasons for this. This is not the sermon. First of all, we have the fallen nature that we wrestle with. Romans chapter 7 tells us this. Paul talks about this conflict. I want to do the right thing. But it's like there's a law within me that when I want to do right, I do the wrong thing. It's like I'm hardwired to disobey God. That's because we are. So we have to face the fallen nature. The fallen nature that lives within us resists our efforts to be men and women of God. We face it every single day. And I've been now, you know, I've lived long enough now that my sinful inclinations of my youth have changed. There are things that I'm no longer interested in as I've gotten older, but they've been replaced by classier sins. (laughs) The fallen nature. And secondly, the world or the age we live in, it puts pressure on us. And the prevailing pressure, it seems to me now, According to Isaiah 5.20, 
is the pressure upon us is to call evil good. This is a pressure. The world we live in, the age we live in, is calling evil things good things. And and if you want to be accepted, you have to go along. Now, Proverbs tells us over and over that we must beware the voices that call us to abandon righteousness, to abandon the value system that comes from God. Then we have the people around us in this age. They never stop putting pressure on us. We could call it passive passive pressurization. Where they're not overtly ramming it down our throat, although some people do, but it's just to be a, to be a part of the, the culture or the group. You kind of got to play ball, right? So, peer pressure, you could call it. And then we have these people in our lives, and we're, we're impacted by three things, all right? Three things. You ready for the three things? Everything comes in threes, except socks. They only come in twos. <laughs> Three things. We're impacted by three things. The people we meet. How many of you would lift your hand and say, I've been impacted by the people in my life? That's everybody. Meet a solid dude, meet a solid gal, and they can really help, they can really change your perspective. And all and, all, and sometimes they don't they don't even know they did it. They have no clue. The impact they made on you through a meeting, through a meal, through a phone call, through a text, through just, through just watching how they respond to life, we're impacted by the people in our lives. And then we're impacted by the books we read. Now, I am a product of two forms of media, television and books. In books, I've been impacted Exponentially by Louis L'Amour, the great philosopher, and in some way by Tom T. Hall and his songs. And then by television, by movies. When I was a teenager, as soon as I got a car, I started smoking Marlboro Red Pack cigarettes, soft pack. And I did it for one reason, because in Die Hard, that's what Bruce Willis smoked. I've always thought Bruce Willis was the ultimate dude. He doesn't really, he's not really, he's not really crazy handsome. He's not really super tough, but he is very tough. He's kind of the anti-hero. But I can remember seeing him. Shaking out a cigarette, and I thought, man, that's the way to go right there. So you, you can be, in fact, impacted by things. You see. As a kid growing up, my dad made us watch John Wayne movies all the time. And so I know tons of stuff about John Wayne. I follow John Wayne on Twitter, incidentally. I've read his biographies. I mean, you, just get, you, you get wound up in people. So media influences us. So we're impacted by the people we meet and the media we watch. Or read the things we're exposed to. They have an impact on us. More than we know. Now, I really was kind, of, was kind of ignorant of that until Valerie and I got married. And then 
one day she's like, she saw me reading all these Luther Moore books, and she says, you know, Terry, maybe I should read one of these books. And so she read the book Flint. And then she read some other Luther Moore books, and she came back and she said, now I know why you are the way you are. <laughs> it's all becoming clear to me. <laughs> So we're we're influenced by things. We're influenced by by media and people. We are, are, it's just the way it is. And so we have to remember, though, and I have to remember this, because in Lula Moore's autobiography, Education of a Wandering Man, it kind of becomes clear. As much as I love Lula Moore, and, you know, his daughter had cancer, and I used to pray for his daughter because she had cancer, and cause he's been dead since the 80s. But he did, as far as I can tell, he did not go north when he died. In his autobiography, he kind of talks, he gives kind of a, a hat tip to the great spirit or the great unknown, to the, the almighty, but, but no real faith in Christ, right? Even though he mentions the Bible positively in his writings often. We have to remember that the people around, not everyone around us, possesses the Holy Spirit. And because they do not possess the Holy Spirit, like it or not, we have to, we have to admit and recognize that within these people, if they don't have the Holy Spirit, then at work within them is the spirit of Antichrist. I'm not saying that they themselves are Antichrist. Or that they are active, voluntary, willing agents of the dark domain. I mean, if you are not in Christ, Colossians 2, if you are not in Christ and in his kingdom, then you are in the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus says in John chapter 8, you're of your father the devil. So within these people who do not have the Holy Spirit, though they are remarkable, intelligent, wonderful people, in some ways we have to bear in mind that they do not have the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 1 says this, We must test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Now that's a great, that's a great statement because it's in the Bible. How then do we test things? We have to test things by the revealed will of God. Now God has two wills. God has two wills. How many wills does God have? He has two wills. One will is his revealed will, and that's what you find in Scripture and in the observable world around us. So, how do we know it was God's will for there to be a lot of snow last Sunday? It happened. So there's the revealed will of God, which is in Scripture and in the outworkings of providence, right? And then you have the secret will of God which is what God has purposed that we don't know about. Now, have you ever looked, looked up at heaven and said, Lord, what in the world are you doing? I have. Why must it be thus all the day long? Why, why has it got to So there's the secret will of God. Now, sometimes the secret will of God, it becomes the revealed will of God, right? Because we got tomorrow coming, right? Lord willing, there's going to be a tomorrow. Now, who knows what tomorrow holds? God does. I don't. But after tomorrow is over, guess what we're going to know? What the will of God was for 
tomorrow. So there's the secret will of God. There's the revealed will of God. Now, you and I, God does not want us to waste one second worrying about the secret will. (laughs) He doesn't want us to waste one second worrying about it. You know how we know that? Because he hasn't bothered to tell us. He doesn't want us to worry about it. Remember Jesus said, Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Take no thought of tomorrow, because tomorrow can take care of itself, basically. Now that's, a, that's not what it says exactly, but in general. So what we have to do is as we live in this world, as we are influenced by people and by books and by movies, we have to measure those things by the Word of God. Acts 17, 11. We have to be bereaved. We have to compare things with Scripture, right? Now, this, this is, Alistair Begg said this in the sermon. It's very, very helpful to me. Because uh, I, I like music. I, 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 like, I don't like all music, but I like a lot of different kind of music. And Begg says this. He says that you can't just say one particular genre or category of music in general, that you should just mark it off as all bad. Like all country music is bad. Now that's, no. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. (laughs) Some country music is definitely bad. Most of it written after 1999. <laughs> not, not all rock and roll is bad. So how can you say these things? Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about genre or style of music. There's no, there's no biblical beat. <laughs> but the words are important. And so you have to think about it. You have to think about that. Now, if you're like me, it's the songs with the bad words that you really like. I was riding down the road one day listening to a, a song, and uh, Lacey was in the car with me. And uh, she, was, she was singing along, and I was singing along. And then in a moment of clarity, I thought about what we were really singing. <laughs> I thought, maybe I should adjust. <laughs> But it's, it's easier just to, just to blanket say, everything over here is bad. Like down south. All Yankees are bad. Right? <laughs> it's easy. So, but it's, it's more difficult to really analyze things and measure them by Scripture. It's harder to do. But if we're going to live a whole life that's in worship of God, we have to measure things by the Word of God. So that's we have the, the world we live in, right? That's the second thing. The third thing is we have Satan. Satan is out there too, and he wants us not to live lives that are worshipful of God. He's in, he was in the Garden of Eden. He was present there. He's present in our world too. And he's trying to convince us that God's the bad guy. And Satan's methods haven't really changed because his methods are still successful. Satan's message in the Garden of Eden was this. God cannot be trusted. That's what he said to Eve. God cannot be trusted. Remember? God said, don't eat of this tree or you'll die. 
Satan meets Eve there in the garden. And he says to Eve, what? He says, Eve, God knows that if you eat of this tree, it will not kill you, but it will make you a God like him, knowing good and evil. And so what Satan was doing was saying, you can't trust God. God's selfish. God's mean. God's keeping you back from something wonderful. Satan does the exact same thing today. Satan doesn't care if you go to church. Satan doesn't care if you read the Bible. But Satan does not want you to trust God. He doesn't want you to trust God to forgive you of your sins. He doesn't want you to trust God with the day-to-day details of your life. Satan does not want you to trust God. He wants you to put your faith, put your trust, put your confidence anywhere but in God. That's what Satan is doing. So this is why our our affections fluctuate. Because we're wrestling with ourselves. We're wrestling with the age we live in, and then we're wrestling with Satan. And all these things, this trifecta of opposition causes us in our affections to go up and down. So we have to be reminded from time to time. Now, our devotion to God goes up and down because we succumb to these pressures. And it happens more often than we want to admit, doesn't it? More often, than I, more often than I care to really confess to you, my affections go up and down. Now, I've said to you, and this is, this is the weird thing about being a preacher, is, you know, for several Sundays in a row, I told you I, knew, I knew God called me to preach, the greatest thing since sliced bread, yada, yada, right? I say, I say these things to you. Well, you know what happens when you say something like that? There's always a test, <laughs> Then you kind of go in a, a down cycle where you're like, you know, why am I, I hate this job. <laughs> it's, it's because it's just, we, 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 we fluctuate so much. Well, this week in our reading of Scripture, it took us once again to that old book of the Bible, Jonah. And there you have this great story of this man, Jonah, a, man, a story of a man who was saved from his sin, But when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites, he said, I don't want to go. I don't like them Assyrians. And so what you see in this man, this man Jonah, you see the story of a man who caved in to his sin nature. He caved into his age and he caved into Satan and decided not to obey God. You see, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Because he didn't like the Assyrians. They were, their, they were the arch enemies of Israel. They were the arch enemies of the whole region. They were a barbarous, horrific people. And Jonah hated Nineveh more than likely because of the horrific evils that he had seen them perpetuate on his people. The Jews themselves, they loathed the Assyrians. And then Satan did not want Jonah to go there and preach the gospel. Satan doesn't want to see people saved, so Satan doesn't want him to go there. So all three of these things working against Jonah, and Jonah caves in and runs away from God. He gets himself on a little ship in the middle of the sea. And what does God do? God sends a storm. And then God throws Noah, not Noah, (laughs) God throws Jonah into the ocean, 
where he is swallowed by a, a, a fish, a whale. And then, Jonah kind of has a, his own personal come-to-Jesus meeting in the belly of the whale. Where he realizes, hey, God can save whoever he wants to save. It's not my business. I just need to do what God wants me to do. So when Jonah says salvation is of the Lord, something happens. Jonah gets delivered from the whale's belly. He gets spit out on the ground. Now, this, is, this is an interesting thing. You know, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really amazing thing to think about. Being in the belly of a beast and then getting spewed out on the ground. What happy day, right? Happy day. And then when he's laying on the ground, here's what happens. Jonah 3, 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It doesn't say again. It says a second time. A second time. He needed a second chance. And God gave it to him. Now I wonder if you're here today and you need a second chance. You've been trying in a general sense to live your life in an act of worship to God. You've been trying to live for God in a general sense. That's been the, the, the trajectory of your life. You've made this decision, and maybe you've made it more than once. And you've been trying to do it, but you find, you've found yourself dropping the ball. You haven't really succeeded. You haven't made it, and now you find that you need a second chance. Well, I want to say to you if, you, if, if that's you, there's a second chance there for you. And I'm going to press this just slightly differently for a second. If you have heard the gospel preached before, and you've been told that the only way to be saved from your sins is to put your personal faith in Jesus Christ, if you've heard that before and you have not done it, up until this time, I'm here to tell you that you can do it now. You can do it now. You, listen, God, God is very cool. You can shove Him away for decades. You can push him away. You can swear him away. You can reject him over and over, Sunday after Sunday, week after week, year after year. You can shove God's hand of salvation away. But every single day, he pokes it back out to you. He doesn't. His mercies are new every day. Your rejections of yesterday, your opposition to God from yesterday, when the day started today, it's like they never existed. His mercies are new every day. So, if you need a second chance to get saved, here it is. If this is your 200th chance, here it is. Now, in your Christian life, it's the same way. A second chance to redevote yourself to God. Now, if you're going to have a successful second chance, you probably should do things a little differently. You need to do things differently. Valerie gave me this little thing a long time ago. I think it's attributed to Einstein, but I'm not sure. <clears throat> what I have it on is a page of, out of a Mary Engelbright calendar. 
And she, she stuck it on some lamination stuff that's on my wall. And it says, the definition, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. So you got to do something different, right? So in the next 35 minutes, I want you to listen to me. <laughs> if you're going to have a successful second chance, you're going to have to look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Verse 1, you're going to have to purpose to live your life in worship of God. That has to be your basic purpose. You have to have a goal. If you never have a goal, you'll never make it. You have to have an objective. You have to have something specific. When I used to work in a factory, they said you need to give people smart tasks. It has to be specific. It has to be measurable. It has to be attainable. It has to be recordable. And it has to have a timeline. That's a smart task, S-M-A-R-T. You have to have something specific. My specific purpose is to live a life that says, I worship God, live a life of worship for God. That's number one. Number two, you've got to think right. Verse two says, we must resist conformity to the age and pursue transformation that comes from a renewed or renovated mind. Robert Haldane says that this requires a whole new person inside of you. You need to be born again. And if you are born again, you, can, you have a renewed mind. I was listening to a charismatic preacher last night just for kicks, and he said something that really... Here's what he said. I never knew what sin was until I was born again. And once I was born again, I saw what sin was. He was, a, he was an entertainer, kind of a guy, kind of a, a mobster kind of personality. And he said, once I was born again, I went back to the, the place where I worked, and it was like, for the first time in my whole life, I saw it as an upholstered sewer. <laughs> so we have this different mindset now. We are born again. And then there's an ongoing renewal because the word renewal, in the authorized version, it says renewing, perfect continuing sense. In the newer versions, renewal had to be renewed. Driver's license every four years, hunting license, don't buy one, they don't have to be renewed. <laughs> every, every, every often they have to be renewed. So we have to renew our minds, Right? Now, the renewal, it takes place within our minds as we train ourselves to know what the will of God is. Listen to the reading. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we have to train ourselves, training our minds. If we're going to do it differently this time, we have to think differently. And that's why you take up God's word. And we get to know it. The 19th Psalm says that the Word of God warns us and warms us and guides us. The 119th Psalm talks about God's Word being a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. So we have to take up the Bible in a new way. Now, when I say take up the Bible in a new way, I'm not asking you to become a biblical scholar. I'm not asking you to become a biblical scholar. I'm not asking you to read a commentary. I'm not asking you to, to, to do to invite Sunday school lessons or exegetical outlines. I don't mean that. I just want you to take up the Bible and read it. 
And before you read it, say, Lord, help me to understand this. Psalms 118, verse 3. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Take up the Bible and get to read it. And just reading the Bible, it, it, Isaiah says, is not my word like Jeremiah, is not my word like a hammer it breaks the rock in pieces. In Proverbs it says, a soft tone breaks a bone. Now that's weird, isn't it? Now, have you ever noticed how if you stay after somebody, sometimes you get what you want? My dad would call it nagging. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know another word for that. Nagging. Everybody nags about something. Sometimes wives nag their husbands, sometimes husbands nag their wives. And sometimes kid nag every, kids nag everybody. But after a while, the constant use of words has an effect. You finally give in, right? So we, God's Word, you just keep on reading His Word and getting familiar with it. And over time, it'll surprise you when you're thinking about something and the Word of God will flash through your mind. Now, it's not going to flash through your mind unless it's there. You have to put it there. You have to put the knowledge in, right? I'm, I'm trying to bring this to a wind down. I don't have much time left. It says right here in my notes. <laughs> I don't have much time left. <laughs> like I know ahead of time what I'm up to here. <laughs> We have to look at verse 3 for a second. Because if you're going to be advised by Scripture, you have to think of yourself in the right way. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So if we're going to be advised by Scripture, if we're going to be instructed by God, we have to see ourselves as needing correction. We have to be humble before God and say, okay, maybe I, I don't have all the answers here. Maybe what's a cultural norm for me or for my age, maybe it's wrong, right? If we are arrogant, we will not be instructed by Scripture. The Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we are arrogant, we won't come to Scripture for answers or instruction. And it will result in us going forward into the darkness without a guiding light. And as we go forward in the darkness, we'll find ourselves stumbling, hurting ourselves, hurting others, and worst of all, misrepresenting Christ and Christianity to the whole world. It was a, it was a, a man lived long, he's not that long ago. A man named Gandhi. And here's something Gandhi said. I Googled this to see if it's, if it's real, because I've used it before. You know, and sometimes Spurgeon said, if you doubt your source, you should probably try to see if it's true or not. But old Gandhi said this. I love Christianity. It's the Christians I don't like. <laughs> I've felt that way myself a few times. Now, why did he feel that way? Because he ran into a corrupted Christianity. 
called the church state. Anytime you have a church and state married together, you're going to have problems. Read the history of New England, 1620 to 1645, and you'll see they had a church state and they persecuted other Christians because they didn't agree with it. It's a fascinating thing. Christianity can be misrepresented in the world. And we have to get it right. If you follow the Bible, you'll be all right. Now, we can't get it right all the time. So we've got to be humble in our view of self and avoid the defilements of pride. Listen to Proverbs 8, verses 12 through 13. This is wisdom speaking, wisdom personified. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. Prone towards these errors. So this is the last thing I'm going to say to you, and we're going to go. All in favor, say aye. Thank you. Any opposed? (laughs) In verse 3, it says, we don't think too highly of yourself. It doesn't say don't have respect for yourself. You ought to think of yourself with a certain measure of value, but not too highly. Don't become arrogant. Don't become proud. If we're going to have a successful second chance, we need to do things differently the second time. Here are the four things you need to do, okay? Commit to worshiping God with every action of your life. That's number one. It's our guiding principle. Number two, be transformed by God's Spirit through the written Word of God. Don't be conformed to this age. Number three, work at knowing what the will of God is. Work at it. Sometimes it's hard to know what the will of God is, but it can be found out. Fourthly, be humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. Let's stand together.